This podcast is brought to you by A Copy Match. A Copy Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers, or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agopymatch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. This week's guest is clinical psychologist, Dr. Shannon Curry. Dr. Curry is an award-winning clinical psychologist and a national expert in psychological and interpersonal issues. She has been interviewed for major media outlets, including the Today Show, the New York Magazine, and The Cut, opining on topics from trauma, violence, and abuse to intimate relationships, parenting, career change, and motivation. She regularly works with couples who are experiencing financial conflicts, and that is what is going to be the focus of today's episode on Ask a Matchmaker. Dr. Curry, welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. So I heard about you from this incredible article that was published several weeks ago on The Cut. From Charlotte. I'm moving in with my girlfriend. How should we split rent? It was written by Charlotte Cowles. And I just loved your response to it. And I was like, we need to contact her. She would be so great to talk about financial compatibility because I feel like that comes up so much, mm-hmm. not just among people that are currently dating, but even singles. Yep. Financial issues. It's one of those big issues that it's so tied to our childhood experience, to our beliefs, to our deeply held dreams and hope for life. I always say it's not about the money. It's really not. It's about freedom, security, generosity, what we believe love is. And so whether we're struggling with our own financial behavior or whether we are encountering a partner who very likely very likely has different financial beliefs or different ways of managing money than we do. These are to be, these are things that are to be expected. And really by examining these sort of underlying dreams, these hidden hopes and fears, we can better regulate our own behavior and we can better understand our partners, which sometimes is actually the key. You don't need problem solving beyond understanding. One of the things that we teach in our, at our service is about, we call the five pillars of compatibility. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to have compatibility with physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and financial. That is not in the order uh, that Mm -hmm. you meet these or the importance, but this is just, you know, what it is. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have discovered is that, you know, to piggyback off what you just said, financial compatibility is so much to do with, you know, what we learned at home, because that Mm -hmm. is the prototype of our relationships, but also lifestyle. I I say sometimes to a lot of my clients, you know, because we match a lot on lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, if I were to make lifestyle to mathematical formula, Mm -hmm. it's lifestyle equals how you spend your time plus Mm -hmm. how you spend your money. That's excellent. And that to me, it's like, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty of like financial compatibility, like let's talk about that first. I mean, there's so many other questions that go along with it, which of course you're going to give us insight on, Mm -hmm. but that's what I say. Mm -hmm. And we do have questions that have come in from the listeners, Mm -hmm. but what makes someone financially compatible? 
there's an interesting thing here. So your five pillars, you just named the top five perpetual issues that couples experience. And your life will certainly be easier if you partner with somebody who is sort of naturally similar to you in this approach. However, when couples have been surveyed based on their happiness, the people who actually put less stock in compatibility, and this is really surprising for most people, the ones who actually believe it has more to do with, I'll tell you what in a second, they're actually happier. It's the people who believe that there's kind of some more, somebody out there for us, whether you call it a soulmate or somebody who's naturally compatible, that tend to be the most disappointed because you are going to be inherently different from your partner. Uh-huh. There are going to be issues that come up. Even if you think you found the perfect person, you're going to learn things about them that blow your mind. And you're going to realize, oh my God, he's nothing like I thought in the beginning. I love that you said this is surprising, which to me, it's like, no, this, this seems, this seems right. Well, you're married to a wonderful man. And do you know what (laughs) one feature is that when couples are asked the happy ones, right. Who don't put Uh stock in compatibility. Guess what? The one feature is that they say has led to their happiness. What listening, they feel cared about. Mm. And that is a function of listening. You, you nailed it. So when we're talking about what makes partners financially compatible, what you really need to be looking for, I mean, let's rule out the risk that you're with somebody who's financially abusive or a narcissist. Let's get rid of all of those things that immediately fill my brain. But if you're with somebody who is willing to talk with you, they might not even be good at talking. Okay. You could even, you could be with somebody who has Asperger's or we now call it sort of mild autism. They may not be really great at empathic discussions, but they're there with you. If they care and if they're willing to try to empathize, to understand your position on something, that's really all you need for compatibility. You can move mountains with that. And I've Mm. seen it happen in my office, people with very different viewpoints who once they have that understanding, once they feel safe heard, understood. And the key here is validation. So you don't have to agree with your partner's position, but once we lift the veil, once we're really making our partner feel safe and asking them questions, showing that we're curious about the reasons why they believe what they believe, that's when they soften. They're not as, they're not digging their heels into this position is you start to hear why they, why they tend to be savers and very frugal. And you've thought they're a jerk. They're not generous. They, they're making things so difficult for me. They're so judgy of me. They're so tight. It starts to go global, right? Mm-hmm. But then you start to hear the story. You ask, what is the story behind this for you? Babe, I really want to know. You come from a loving place and your partner explains, well, I guess, God, when I grew up, my parents were constantly fighting about money. And I right. swore that I would never put anyone I love in that position and that we would always be secure. And as you explore this further and further, you realize this is coming from a loving place here. I've been judging this person and he loves me so much that he wants to make sure there's never anything to worry about. He's making me miserable in the meantime, but this comes from such a beautiful place. And then when you switch roles and he asks you those questions, he realizes you're not a frivolous overspender, but that actually you were so withheld from growing up that you dreamed that one day you could spend freely, that you would have your money and it would be yours. And it's about freedom. That discussion changes everything. I'm thinking about my own relationship 
-hmm. but I see this in other people as well. So I'm an entrepreneur. I, you know, I think I'm entrepreneurial rather. Mm -hmm. And I've had, you know, I own a small business that I've had since I was 23. You know, I met my husband, he's, you know, when I was 28. So I was already living in the risk of what it is to be a small business owner and Mm -hmm. budgeting and whatnot. And I only outline this for the next question I'm going to bring up. I Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, hear from women who have it going on, you know, they're, they're really financially successful and they have decided he has to make this amount of money or we're just not going to be compatible. Mm -hmm. And hearing this as a professional matchmaker who, you know, at the time when I met my husband, I did make more money than him. And Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone knew that he was an academic, you know, I try not to judge any of the people that come to me. I just try to like, listen and see how I can help them. But sometimes I feel like when I'm being told a financial parameter, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a number. I feel like, why are you putting in this obstacle? What if the man of your dreams is my husband's yes. ex coworker? Who's yes. also an academic. Yeah. So this is where you drop science. People like to know that you actually have some research on what could make them happy and what could make them truly feel in love because everybody's doing their best. They've come to these conclusions because they've sort of through trial and error thought, you know, and maybe their own life story. I, you know, I was, I hated being poor growing up. I finally made my own money. I want to have this lifestyle that I've dreamed of. And my partner's got to be on the same page and he's got to be, you know, bringing in his share. Or I hear stuff like when I want to go on really nice vacations and I don't want to pay for him, or I don't want to, you know, apologize for that. And I'm just, I always think myself like, these are massive assumptions, right? You're exactly right. So this is where I really love, uh, again, dropping science and changing their framework. So what I'm hearing that person say is that they actually just want some peace. They don't want there to be power conflicts. They don't want to be guilt tripped. They don't want their partner to give them shit for making more. They don't want there to be jealousy. So that's portable. And they've come up with what they think is the only solution to that, which is a partner who brings in an equal amount or more money. That's not the case. So this is where I explain to them that if you have a partner with actually, so this kind of goes along that research, people feeling cared about what truly leads to happiness. And I think this is some of what you found in your marriage, but maybe didn't know how to articulate fully. There are three traits that you really want to look for in a partner. And these three traits were discovered by a psychologist. I have such a crush on, I I heard him talk at APA once years ago, and he's just a brilliant statistician. And he was studying relationships. His name is Tai Tashiro. T-Y okay. Tashiro, and I believe he's, he's in Maryland. He's based on Maryland. He did research on, I, I think it was thousands of couples, basically looking at the data that already existed. And he looked at personality traits. We call them kind of the big five personality traits. He looked at their ratings of happiness, and he found something pretty outrageous, which was that the most, most people are going to be married. So you don't need to worry about that. 98% of the population is going to get married. And I think sometimes we worry so much about whether that's ever going to happen for us, especially after a divorce. I always tell my clients, I'll literally predict for them. I'll be like, you're going to be with somebody probably in about three months. I need you to stop worrying about this. I've seen this enough times Just shelve it. I already know what's going to happen in this next year. You're going to be fine. 
but it's so scary getting back out there. But you're going to find a partner. 98% of the population, if they want to be married, they'll get married. And if they want to get married again, they'll get married again. So now, why don't we do it in a way where we're not dooming ourselves to misery? And I found that there were three traits that the happiest and very small percentage of people consistently said, or, well, they were statistically correlated with happiness. And what they said their partners had was conscientiousness, flexibility, kind of low neuroticism. They're not neurotic. Mm. They're not freaking out all the time. They're pretty flexible. And the third one was their low to moderate and adventurousness. And the reason for that is because people who are really high novelty seekers mm. tend to be cheaters as well. But if they're kind of low to moderate and adventurousness, they're actually going to now really hit it home with that conscientiousness, right? The, this is the what person- do you mean by conscientiousness. I love the word conscientious because it's sort of this umbrella term. There's mm. a reason we're turned off just by niceness because niceness can indicate that somebody has no self-respect that they just want to please, please to get what they want. And that can even be kind of selfish. Sometimes it's about them, not you. Conscientiousness wraps up so many wonderful things to be a conscientious person. You're somebody who's anticipating and meeting somebody's needs before they even ask you're considerate. And that's going to require intelligence, savvy, right. whether they're educated or not. It's going to require a certain level of motivation right? They're getting off their ass and actually doing something to please you. And it's genuine goodness. This is a trait that breeds admiration for your partner over time. You may not even be physically attracted to this person initially, but this is the best part of what Ty Tashira's research showed. Over time, your physical attraction grows as you become more and more admiring and appreciative of this person. And these couples had increased positivity in their sex lives as they age together. So all of us who are thinking, but my partner has to be hot. If you're going to roll over in bed when you're 72 years old and say, I'm so glad he's so hot, right? I always think if I had a child with severe special needs, is this going to be somebody who's going to be there rallying with me, holding me when I'm on the floor crying because I'm so exhausted with fighting for an IEP and special services and worrying about our child's future. Is this going to be a guy who is with me, who knows more about our kids' treatment and care than I do and reminds me of things? Or is this going to be somebody who's kind of checked out and super hot? I will take the guy who's holding me on the floor any day. And you're going to want to have sex it with that It doesn't even have to be such a extreme example. Ask me if I thought about my husband's hairline or his height when I was in giving labor. Right. Like that didn't even cross my mind. All I could think about was, oh my God, I'll never forget it. When my water broke, I, this mm-hmm. will remain for, with me top five memories of all, like my whole life. Mm-hmm. I remember the, my first baby when my water broke and it was like three in the morning and he runs over to me because it broke mm-hmm. as I was like getting up. It was at the end of the pregnancy yeah. where every time I woke up, I was like, you're waking up with me. And he's you know, up. fuck you. This is not, he's I'm up. not doing this alone. Yeah. So he, he was no up. problem with that. You didn't even need to tell him. Yeah, that. I haven't done anything. He just like got mm-hmm. up. And then as I get up, my water breaks and his, the first thing that comes out of his mouth, he just gets down on one knee. So he's got a knee mm-hmm. in the wa- on the water. And he's like, he just looks me in the eye. He takes my hand and he oh. goes, it's happening. We're about oh to become God. parents. 
let's do this. Like it was just oh like, God. I was already freaking out. Like I was like, yeah. Oh, and that was just like, for that to be the first three sentences out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. When that happened, I was just like, Oh, like I picked, I picked, like, it was like, I get these like reminders that I picked the right person. But at that yeah. moment, I was just like, so touched that right. that was his first reaction to this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, around you both. To really yeah. And it was just like, it was calming together. almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just like, Rounding. Um, that's a rock. Yeah. And then I know, and I would say like, and then I've caught the pain and all that stuff. Like that's like the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And I've had some painful situations in my past, you know, before that, but that was like the most painful. And I remember like, I will say another thing, but I'll remember about that day. Every time I got a contraction, I was holding his hands and I was squeezing mm-hmm. them. But because he was so nervous, he was squeezing my hands back. So mm-hmm. I started yelling at him, like, please stop squeezing my hand. You weirdo, yeah. you know, like, like mm-hmm. you're hurting me. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, who are these bitches who ask about height? Like, it really doesn't matter right now. Right. It does not matter. And I hate it when people say stuff like, well, I want to feel safe because right now, especially during COVID, there are two things that will make you not safe. And that's not washing your hands and getting your, your identity <laughs> stolen. These are your two biggest factors, which height, mm-hmm. airlines, but you know, like right. those don't think those things don't come into play. Right. I know I've just taken a tangent that has nothing to do with financial no, stuff, I love it. but it's it relates into the it character. It does have to do with financial stuff. It's knowing that this person is in it with you and that Mm. they care about you. They care about your happiness. So even if you come from totally different worlds, even if you have really different beliefs or views on things, that's Mm. a person who gives a shit what you feel and is going to listen to you and give you the benefit of the doubt and hear you out and then be more sensitive. It might not change their mind but they're going to be more likely to compromise. They're going to be more sensitive. They're not going to kind of just judge you or make assumptions about you. They're always open to learning who you are. You know, one of to, to go back onto the previous question about, you know, sometimes I receive requests and it's always from women. It's rarely from men about like, he needs to make this amount of money because they're making that amount of money yep. and they want that equal partner or whatever. And um, I can speak to this personally, actually very personally. Oh yeah. Well, tell me what you were going to say first. Let me make sure I well, touch upon it. One of the things that I always try to point out is that just because he makes a million dollars a year or even $500,000 a year, or $300,000 a year, it doesn't mean that he's going to be the partner that you want. Like one of the things no. that I always hear about is that he needs to be an equal partner at home. He needs mm-hmm. to, you know, balance and, and admire me. And it's like, okay. And, and, and think about your, two things come to mind when I hear these mm-hmm. things and I hear these at least four times a day. Okay. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I think about is there's a massive assumption here that, okay, if he makes this amount of money, he's also going to be bounced home when really his work-life balance might be critical because Absolutely. he is able to make that amount of money. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is, that I always think about is how much is enough? Mm-hmm. How much is enough? Question. Like one of my close friends, he works in finance, probably clears about a million a year. Mm-hmm. And he still only gets like, two weeks off a year. Right. Right. So who cares? Yeah. Attorneys, big financial people. I, we might have more money, but we actually get paid per the hour less than teachers because we work all the time. I am always working. I love my job. So I got very lucky, but yeah, my life is work. So if you actually look at it hourly, I'm not making that much. I just feel like sometimes we are so focused on this arbitrary number, mm-hmm. but we're not thinking about how like happiness. Okay. Wh- how, well, how much is enough? And I, you know, 
I had a discussion with my husband a year before we got married in 2015. This was like this massive craze where ever, you know, I guess, you know, the four hour work week was still very popular. And then you had people that were going to like different seminars and they were saying, I'm going to make a million dollars next year. You know, everyone's <laughs> drunk on watching the secret, um, you know, on Netflix, like the whole, right. And I remember saying to my husband, like, I know I have the capacity to make a million but here's my goals. Like, I need you to know my goals because he has a fixed income. You know, he works for a big pharmaceutical company now. Like he has a fixed income and I'm the variable in this equation because I'm the business owner. I get to choose what's going mm -hmm. on, right? And I said to him, I have three goals right now. The first goal, maybe more than three, I have like four. The first one is I want to save to buy a house, a house that mm -hmm. I want to live in. Mm -hmm. Number two, I want to save for my children's education. My, you know, like that's just, maybe that's a cultural thing, but as a Greek American, it's kind of like you kind of learn, yeah. you know, you want it's a you value. Want it's mm. a deep value. We call this your bones, something that you're getting rid of the little things that you might actually be flexible on. And, but these are the deep rooted dreams you've had that mean a lot right. to you that you can't right. change. You want to provide for your children's education right. and you need, you want to be a homeowner. Number three, I want to be able to help my parents. Yeah. I'm sure the same for my husband. Right. So mm -hmm. like, you know, as many of my listeners know, I live with, you know, my, my parents and I, we live in the same home because my mother is sick mm -hmm. and we're helping take care of her. And even when we buy a home, they're moving in with us. So we're looking for homes with like in-law suites. Like we have like, this is a massive value that that does come at an expense. Right. Right. And then the fourth thing that I think about is, you know, we already have a home in Greece that we'd like to retire to, you know, half the year. And in my mind, I think, okay, well, how much money do you think we'll need at that time? Cause you know, inflation and stuff, how much money do we think we need per month to live happy? Like, and I'll tell you why I think that. And I think this might relate back to you for a second. So uh, we've come up with a number and because we were having, he also told me his financial goals, which were almost identical to mine. Mm -hmm. And another a fifth, fifth goal was to take one vacation a year, like not the one that we visit our family. Cause you know, we both have family in Greece, not that that's not a vacation. That's a trip. Mm -hmm. There's a difference, but like, you know, um, you know, a cruise a year or, you know, going to, you know, somewhere in central America for a week, like one vacation a year. So we want to do something like that. So these are and the, you guys five... were the same on that too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Identical, identical, identical. Okay. What this really helped with us, like, you know, looking for a financial advisor to be able to articulate here are our goals. And you know what I noticed? We don't need to bring in a million dollars a year to have these goals accomplished. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And the moment I was like, God, why am I, who is telling me this, that I need to make this, I can have a work-life balance. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm making, you know, less than six figures either, but at least I can know what my goals are and how to achieve work-life balance. Now, listen, if mm -hmm you know, I publish a book and it becomes a bestseller. I, I'm happy to happy to become mm -hmm. a millionaire, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's, that's not the goal, right? The, the goals are, these are the goals. And then I'll find the money to afford those goals. Mm -hmm. I'll make the well, money. To you uncovered the all important truth, which is the why, why do I need to make money? And your goals were really good goals. So most people are looking at the specifics. I want a nice hotel. I want to stay in nice hotels. But for you, what you're describing here is that you and your husband had a conversation about those meaningful goals and that you can usually find you're much closer to your partner, way less far apart than you actually thought. But again, we're talking about the bones here, uh, caring for your loved ones, that that's sort of the bones of what you're saying. And then I also heard you say feeling accomplished. So mm. 
I think where people get stuck, again, they're doing their best, but they're making assumptions about what the answer is. And there's actually so much more wiggle room than they know, which is great news. So if we had started from the end and said, okay, your goal is to feel accomplished. And then we looked at some of your other goals. You want to take care of the people you love. You want the security of owning a home. Then we'd say, what is the, with that needing to be made, that needs to be met all of those needs. What's flexible. And you might find that the joy you have of being with a partner who's excited about all those same goals really trumps whether or not he's going to be able to pay for the hotel or surprise you with fancy jewelry that ultimately these goals are so exciting and you feel so deeply loved that you and your partner are working toward this together that who gives a shit if you're going to get, you know, the Cartier love bracelet, which I'd love to have, but Mm -hmm. I don't want to hurt the person I love and put him in a position where he's overextending himself because I love him so much that I'm fine without the bracelet. I have a way better thing. And so, yeah, I think you're right on track with that. I had a a client who, when I asked them, you know, why did you and your partner divorce? And she gave me an anecdote, but she said, this is just one example that if I, that's just one example on vacation, which will, you know, ends up in our day to day. So she said, when we would go on vacation, Mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person wants to stay at the Ritz Carlton, Mm -hmm. go to the spa treatments, enjoy, you know, Michelin star restaurants. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a typical three day, four day weekend will cost Mm $10,000. But my spouse, when we would go on vacation, he wanted to stay at an Airbnb or a hostel. Now these are Titans of industry. Like these are a multimillionaire couple, like a power Mm -hmm. couple. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I know he can, he can afford to buy the Ritz Carlton if he wanted. Right. Right. But he wants to stay in a hostel or an Airbnb, live like the locals, so that was, no. okay. So I was, one, that was just uh, one example that yeah. she, she's giving us an example. I was and like, that so difficult. that's our vacation. Imagine now right. our day to day. And I was like, right. And that's where it. you're right. When you're talking about compatibility, that's where there is some truth to, if you have somebody who's totally inflexible, but remember flexibility is a key trait. If you have somebody who's totally inflexible and there's a real extreme there and there's no reason for it. Now you said something that said he wanted to live like the locals. So mm. that's where. I'm starting to think, all right, so this may not just be that he's obsessive and rigid and has unaddressed anxiety. This may be more that there was something about the experience that he really craved to actually, you know, there's probably more to it if we asked him that he just wanted to maybe go to Peru and be in the Andes and not be separate from everything, that sort of a thing, right? He really wanted to be immersed. And that's one of those dreams we could uncover with that softness and curiosity and genuine interest in where our partner's behavior, where their position comes from, what they need, what they wish for. And that might have allowed her to say, oh, okay, here I just thought we were, I I was getting afraid because I love luxury. I find Mm -hmm. it so fun and freeing and I work so hard and I would love to share some luxury with you. And I was thinking that you were just going to never let me do that. And we would Mm. never have it together. And now I understand, no, you actually just want to be able to also get a cultural experience and really have some growth during this trip. Mm. That's something I can totally jive with. So let's do Peru this trip. Let's do all of that. Can we actually compromise? And then we stay at, you know, this really fancy resort before we head back, kind of split it up, but compromise comes so much easier when there's understanding first. In fact, compromise right. cannot happen unless I love it's that. by understanding. 
I love that. I love that. As we're talking, I just keep thinking about how much our parents affect. Absolutely. The way we, I mean, look for me, I, I remember the conversation I had the first time with my husband when it came to money and we were just dating, we mm-hmm. were on a train to Boston mm-hmm. and we were, we were about to, we were engaged actually. And we we're about to create a joint account. Okay. And we thought it would be, we we're like, oh, we should trade credit card bills. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. not happening. Um, instead, let's talk about like, what is your budget? Like what, you know? And so we started talking more about this and I noticed that, you know, my parents never talked about money. Yeah. And it was, it, they didn't have a lot of it. And so as a result, I think, I feel like because of that, I, I, I guess for me, like a big fear for me is like turning into my parents where you don't talk about money. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden you're, it's time for retirement and you're like, oh, what's our future look like? Like that right. to me mm-hmm. hurts me. Like mm-hmm. that's a massive trigger for me. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, for, I mean, I'm talking very, very personally right now. But this is one of the reasons why I kind of went head on to financial compatibility or even lifestyle mm-hmm. compatibility with the partner mm-hmm. that I chose. Mm-hmm. That was a priority for you. Do you see that like the family yeah. has the effect? A hundred percent. That's the story behind your position is, is security because you grew up really and you know, as you reveal these stories to your partner, they get very specific. You know, I remember a time when my mom was crying because she didn't know what they were going to live off of and they hadn't right. ever talked about it. And it looked so lonely and so scary to me. And I swore that my biggest priority was to find a man who would talk with me and maybe even share goals. You could even I'm, take it as far as compatibility or the idea that we would be the same in the way we right. manage money was a primary focus for me because of what I saw with my parents not being able to talk about it. But see, I don't think my husband and I, and I know this for other couples who are also financially compatible. My husband and I, we didn't know, we, I think we grew together. We came in with mm-hmm. our own crutches, our mm-hmm. own financial vices, if yep. you will. And we've had to have conversations to get to a place. But you know, yes. I think what's worked a lot for me is my husband is responsible for like the day-to-day expenses mm-hmm. and I am the big picture expenses. Mm-hmm. So he's basically in charge of the checking account and I'm in charge of the savings account. Mm-hmm. And Trips, when did that start? College. It wasn't That's, right away, right? You no. guys just magically get together and say, hey, I'll do checking. You'll do savings. Perfect. That's exactly what I was thinking. You no. know when it started? The moment we had a kid. Okay. And because what, I've, was there a conversation? It was, I could not take as many clients as I could before for a few months. Mm-hmm. You know, when my, when, when our first child was born, my husband and I, we still had a, a long distance relationship. He was in Boston. I was in New York and, uh, you know, he was commuting. And I had to take less clients than I typically would. So as a result, my income was becoming less, you know, we always decided from the beginning that we would live with the moment we had a joint account, Mm -hmm. we decided that our life, like our day-to-day life would cost whatever 80% of my husband's take home pay is. Okay. That's like after taxes, after Mm -hmm. retirement, all that stuff. So So you put a budget together. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that like, if something like stupid, like COVID happened, which Mm -hmm. we could have not predicted, Mm -hmm. we could still live off of one paycheck, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, I was fine last year. That's not the issue here. It's just like, Mm -hmm. we said, like, if someone gets, at least we have, we're living, we're learning to live on one paycheck, not both. So we're not overextending ourselves. And I think that might be a, 
I think that might be a product of, you know, starting grad school when the financial crisis happened and just seeing Mm -hmm. people get ripped apart from Mm -hmm. being overextended when they thought Mm -hmm. they'd always have two incomes when a lot of people only have one income at some point. Right. So when we got, when we had a child, all of a sudden, I don't even remember if it was a conversation. I just remember saying, I'm going to be in charge of the savings. Like our big purchases, I'll be in charge of that. And you be in charge of the day to day. So he tells me like every two weeks he tells, or no, every Friday he gives me, um, Hey, this is where we are in our budget this week. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, thank you. And he's not accusatory. He never says like, Oh, you spent this much money. It's always, it's it's always, yeah. He always says, Hey, we, we have a goal in mind. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like this X, Y, Z goal each month. And he'll say, Hey, we're $200 above that goal right now. You know, (laughs) let's just keep that in mind. Or next week, Hey, we're $300 below our goal. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, it's never in a, oh my it God, what are we like a team effort. There's well, yeah. no criticism involved that it truly is sort of rallying for one another. But I think the difference is, and this is something that my parents did not have. Mm-hmm. My husband and I, we value things in the exact same way. I'll give you an example. It's really stupid, but it's okay. a great example. Okay. Okay. My, my husband and my father went to Home Depot. Mm-hmm. They needed to get a hose like okay. the hose for the water, right? Like the mm-hmm. water, the garden. My dad found the cheapest one, $13, brought it home. My husband comes home grumbling saying, I want to buy this $50 hose, but your dad insists on the $13 hose. Mm-hmm. And of course that hose broke within two weeks. And so now and my husband's going- financial knowledge there too. Some financial wherewithal, knowing that if you invest a little bit more, you're going to get a better return. Right, right. My husband had to go back to Home Depot and get the mm-hmm. $50 one. It's like, it's like, it's like, oh, we're just burning money. And that's like, mm-hmm. and I think my mom also sees it that way too. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's just different. Like, you know, they think that the execution, like the goals are the same. It's just how you get to the execution of yeah. it. And, and I you're, think your mom and dad why. actually seem like they're pretty similar, but you said something really important. You said you and your husband grew together. Do you yeah. feel like you would have each been so, so aligned with these types of decisions when you first came together? Or is this something that happened over time with many, many discussions, getting to know one another and really kind of sharing values, growing together in your values? That is such a great question. I know, and not in the beginning because I didn't right. trust him. Like, who, who are you? You're a stranger. Right, right. You know? I, That's I, what's such an important differentiation right. here is that it doesn't have to be this magical compatibility that happens right away. You actually become more compatible as you have the safety in the relationship to share with each other, to come up with ideas, to brainstorm together what your goals are, to hear one another and start to change behaviors accordingly. I mean, it's the Ikea test. Yeah, absolutely. You understand what I'm saying? So like anytime I've gone to Ikea with my husband, we have never bought something we both didn't think we should buy. Like, yeah, that's caring about each other. That's what I'm hearing here. So I have a few questions from our listeners. Okay, great. Let's do that. Hi, Maria. It's Mary from New York. When you're splitting finances um, with your partner, when you move in, such as rent, utilities, and bills, is it more appropriate to split it halfway or based on your incomes, such as like the higher earner will be paying a higher share of the rent and the utilities? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mary, I wish there were a simple answer for you. It depends so much on your own values, your partner's values, how much you guys value fairness, or whether you're going to, in terms of equality in it, we just split it 50-50, or if your definition of fairness would be more about balancing input output, 
I think that one of the easiest ways to do this, at least for my couples, but this is not evidence-based, right? So all the evidence has said is that it has to work for both partners. And really I can say the reason for that is because we need to explore what this money means to each person. If somebody is afraid of feeling taken advantage of, if somebody feels more protective of their money because of maybe a trauma in the past, maybe they were taken for granted, maybe um, they were used, or uh, maybe they had a parent who lost everything. Somebody might have a real resistance to pooling money or splitting funds or, or just even talking about this. And it may not be uh, that they don't care. It may not be that they want to be withholding. This is why it's so important to uncover the values underneath it and start with really what is my kind of starting position on this? And then you start the conversation. So maybe my, par- my starting position is we should just contribute evenly. And your partner comes in and says, well, I'm in school and you're working full-time for a giant company. Um, so if we split it evenly, I will have nothing left. In fact, I'll, I'll be, I won't be able to pay my bills. How is this going to work? And frankly, that hurts me and I'm kind of pissed. And it wouldn't even be, I mean, we know how a real conversation like this would go. It would be a lot more critical. Dr. So, Great. Let me ask you a question here. This is one of the reasons mm-hmm. why I don't think you should, and you, it's okay if you disagree with me. That's I'm go so ahead. fine with that. Sure. But this is one of the reasons why I fundamentally believe that you should not move in with someone if you're not engaged. And if you are the kind of people who don't ever plan on getting married, you need to then not pretend you're married, but that civil partnership that will come out of you living together. Like these are the conversations you have to have. You have to be ready for these conversations. I actually recommend this conversation ahead of time because it can be very frightening and very traumatic to have your whole life blown apart when you're living with somebody. And now you realize, you you know, maybe they don't want to have this conversation with you. Maybe you've realized they don't this isn't necessarily their value to communicate and get understanding. So this can't go anywhere, but I didn't know because I didn't try to have a meaningful conversation ahead of time. Now we share a pet or we, you know, in the early stages of moving in, we share a pet, we share rent. The market has nothing available. I'm, I'm going to have to move back in with my parents with my tail between my legs. And that can be really devastating. Um, Not to mention that plenty of people will just stay in a bad relationship because they're cohabitating. So have the conversation beforehand. Remember that there is no right answer. Most couples that I work with tend to find that a ratio approach works well for them where they're looking at input and output in the relationship. So one thing we do know, if we're talking about a straight relationship, we know that men who are partnered with a woman who's a stay at home either mom or just stay at home, they actually make more than men who are single. And this goes to show that even women who are, you know, they, they might feel guilty because they're taking from their husband and they're not quote unquote contributing. There is contribution just in being there to support your partner. Are you kidding? That is a luxury to have (laughs) someone at home. That is a luxury. To take care of your needs and care for you and help you and pick up the dry cleaning and make the appointments. I I am a horrible stay-at-home mom. Like I have told my husband, (laughs) I am a better mom because I work, because I have a break from them for six hours a day. I'm a better mom. Right. Right. Um, You know, not everyone can do that. Like God bless stay-at-home moms. Every time a friend of mine tells me they've become a stay-at-home mom, I'm just like, 
tell me what you need. What yeah. do you need? You know, it, yeah. that's awful. You that sounds awful to, to me. It. Like I you can't personally do it. it. Yeah. But that's great that if someone yeah. else can do it, like more power to them. I mean, yeah. look, a lot of stay-at-home moms, they don't, especially now, mm-hmm. they don't have the option. Like, you know, the market has really killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hurt a lot of working mm-hmm. moms now that they've, you know, they're, they're stay-at-home moms. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes not even a choice, but what you just said, um, I think it just also just piggybacks off, you know, I had a gentleman ask me a question. I don't know if you're on clubhouse. I don't know how I feel about this mm-hmm. app, but anyway. I don't know what it is. I do ask a matchmaker office hours on it now. So like on Wednesdays at 10 PM, I'll be on clubhouse and Instagram live <laughs> and Instagram live where I will talk about this week's ask a matchmaker Q and A's that I received from Instagram. Oh, well, that's and cool. yeah. And last week, a gentleman asked me on clubhouse. Um, something really stupid. I, I don't know if he was trolling me. I think he, I want to believe he was because otherwise I'm like upset, but he's 27. And he said, I work really hard. And when I get home, is it too much to ask for a hot meal in a clean house? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, no, he's like, I'm the man, before. I am more tired or whatever the hell he said. And I was just like, so is your wife not worried? Like, I was just very confused by mm-hmm. the tone mm-hmm. because the anger. Yeah. The expectation, the entitlement of it all, the anger. I didn't even think about the anger anyway. So, um, so to go, so to what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is like, I I understand Mary's question, but I think Mm -hmm. there's also like another question that orbits around that question, which is like, maybe I'll give it, maybe it's hard to ask it without an anecdote. So I'll give you one. I don't know if you use Venmo, but I love Mm -hmm. using Venmo. I love, Mm -hmm. I love scrolling through Venmo to see my contacts. The little, yeah. Everything people say they're so funny. Well, no, no, no. I'll go through, I'll see like my friends who are on Venmo who have spouses. And I have, I have a friend who has children with a man, like they are married mm-hmm. and they Venmo each other diaper money. Oh, weird. I mean, let me preface that by, or I guess say after that, not weird for everyone, but definitely. No, that's fucking weird. weird. No, I, I'll weird say, if you can't say it, I'll say it. That's weird. <laughs> I cannot a picture a scenario where I yeah. split everything with my husband. Mm-hmm. They might uh, with be kids. perfectly compatible in that and feeling like things really need to be accounted for and they need to keep their money separate or it could be a cultural thing. I mean, you heard my first reaction. It makes me want to yeah. jump out of my skin a little bit. Okay. Let's go to the next question. Hi, Master Maria. This is Megan from Baltimore, Maryland. As someone who's never discussed options Um, when it comes to finances with previous partners before, what is the best way to get those initial conversations going in the most mature and productive way? Also, as a female um, in today's day and age, what is the best way to make sure that I am going to be as financially secure as possible if, God forbid, we were to get a divorce later on? You know, like things to look out for or steps to take so that I can make sure that I'm as safe as possible with my money, even if we were to end up ending things down the road. Looking forward to your response. Thanks. I don't know how to answer. Like, I don't, I know I have an idea of an answer, but I think you have a better answer. Let me make sure I heard the questions correctly. So the first question I heard was, how do I get the conversation going? And did Mm. she say specifically about what the conversation was? I think she meant about financial compatibility. Okay. Okay. How to get the conversation going. And then the second one was, how do I protect myself? Essentially like thinking this, the same purpose of a prenup. What do I do to make sure I'm being smart and that I'm not um, going to completely be bust if I do, God forbid, end up getting divorced in the future. How do I respect myself in that way? Mm. These are good questions. In fact, the, I think it's such an important question 
Um, and people might think it's morbid to be talking about a prenup or be talking about how to protect myself, but it's sort of like planning for death and putting a will together because you love your children and you wouldn't want anything. You wouldn't want them to be uh, unprepared and to have a nightmare to deal with. So planning for the worst um, without dwelling on it, I think is really healthy. And it shows that you're respecting yourself and caring about yourself. So she's asking a great question. As far as question number two, and what does she need to do to secure herself? That's something I want her to consult with an attorney about. That's out of the scope of mental health. Attorney will help her define what she'll need to feel secure. And that's something she can think of kind of now, sort of what, again, we're talking about these underlying goals and the meaning that we attach to money. What would she need if, if she did end up divorced and she's alone? And uh, I don't know what her situation with kids is, but she'll need to consider all of those factors and what are the things that are, she's totally inflexible on that. She just has to make sure she's able to do, whether it's pay for an apartment, uh, have a car, uh, make sure that maybe she needs to be able to go out to dinner once a week with friends and feel like she has a life still, um, whatever she needs. And then she needs to talk to an attorney and find out what they would advise or a financial advisor. Um, I mean, so I would that. also, I would also talk to someone if, um, if you were dating someone whose money is quote under the table, mm-hmm. definitely talk to mm-hmm. an attorney prior mm-hmm. to getting married, because let's say that doesn't work Absolutely. out. And this is, this is, this is for men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, if the other person's not showing if the person has income, but they're not showing it, they're mm-hmm. entitled to alimony or palimony, right? Marriage and is they, a financial they could contract. Be make, yeah. They could be making money under the table still and also taking a, you know, huge portion of your check. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's such a massive risk mm-hmm. and I've right. seen it blow up. People don't realize it's so easy to get married and we don't realize what an extensive legal financial obligation it is um, yeah. until you get divorced and you, you realize, oh my God, they just, they want to know what we own, what we need to split up. And I'm talking about the state giving you your divorce, divorce is expensive. Yeah. Um, divorce is expensive. That's, you know, it's when not you realize, just that's when you realize the state didn't care that we were in love. The state saw this as a financial arrangement. Mm-hmm. So know that going in and yeah, talk to an attorney, protect yourself. Let's now in terms that. of the first one, I actually really think it can be great to set Uh, sort of a meeting of the minds and have it be regularly scheduled. Now, according to the Gottman research, John and Julie Gottman are uh, relationship experts and researchers. They've done over 40 years of research on couples. And that happens to be the type of therapy I practice. And they actually recommend sort of a a meeting of the minds every week for two hours where you discuss how you're doing, uh, the state of the relationship, whether your needs are being met. In an ideal world, that would be fantastic. I can't remember the last time Ty and I have talked that long, except on a date night. And I actually think date nights are great, but we're definitely not talking about finances the whole time. So realistically, if you can set a meeting, and I know that uh, a journalist I recently spoke with has that with their husband, they meet every month, sit down mm-hmm. and talk about finance, finances. And it's sort of Maria, like we, you were talking about, you have goals every month with your husband. And because of this intimacy that you build when you talk, Mm-hmm. You're able to bring up the goals and remind about the goals in a really friendly team type of way. We have analytical quarterly check-ins. So at the end of okay. a quarter, 
we come up with like some SWOT analysis worksheet okay. we found on Etsy for our family budget. And, uh, yeah. but we do have the weekly and monthly check-in like verbally. Perfect. But then we sit down and, but, uh, and for about, couples you know. who are just going into this, I would say schedule it ahead of time and blame me yeah. say, Hey, I heard the psychologist talking and she was yeah. saying that Send couples this should episode. schedule it <laughs> yeah. and couples should schedule it. And the reason why is now you're not going to alarm anybody when you bring it up. Nobody has to be the bad guy. Nobody has to feel in trouble. It's not just because something bad is happening. It's what you guys do. Oh God, get ahead of it. I mean, that's, I I do remember in the beginning, I remember in the, in the beginning, like when, right after we got engaged, I I mean, before that, like, it's not like my, my husband proposed to me, you know, out of thin air, we were dating for like two years and two months when he proposed. But around that period, I remember we talked about money. We talked about lifestyle. What does it take to make us happy? every single week. Like, mm-hmm. and especially in time we were in like a long drive situation where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, now we're definitely gonna talk about it. Cause we'd also listen to podcasts like mm-hmm. planet money or something that had mm-hmm. to do with like financial stuff. So you, it, organically those conversations come up. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you do need to talk to your partner about something and you don't already have it scheduled. Use the gentle startup, start with an actual emotion you're feeling. So I sweetheart, I've just been feeling a little bit worried lately, a little bit tense. Then you state your objective reason why. Okay. So something you've observed and you're not going to analyze your partner. You're not going to say anything they're doing. You're just going to say, I've been feeling a little bit worried and tense lately because I've been noticing that our checking account is getting low. Okay. And throw your partner a bone, give them the benefit of the doubt. This is a little add on I've added to this formula. Say, I know that you care so much about our well-being and financial world. So I know this isn't something you would do kind of carelessly or thoughtlessly. I just think I need for you. And then you say a need. I think I need for us to sit down, make it positive and specific. Maybe we can sit down this week. Let's set a time to go over our finances and our budget. Make it positive, specific, give your partner a chance to shine for you. That is really great advice. Thank you. One last question from our listeners. And if you are listening and you have questions for future episodes, you can always go to askamatchmaker.com. It literally takes 60 seconds to send an audio question. All right. Our last question for today's episode. Hello. Hi, Matchmaker Maria. It's a DT calling in from Toronto. I'm 28 years old. Yeah. I'm super curious as to how you bring up talking about finances with, you know, a potential partner or partner, because it feels like finances is such a um, private thing. And it can really be feel so exposing, you know, showing someone your, your bank statements, your spending habits. So I'm really curious, like, how you how you bring up these different um, topics of how you're handling your finances from, um, you know, how much debt do you have? Are you on track to to pay pay off that debt? What are your spending habits? How do you kind of align that? Um, And also technically, what kind of systems can you set up? Um, Like, is it your money, my money, our money? And how do we decide, decide that so it feels equitable? And if there are differences in salaries, how do you kind of accommodate that in, in the system? I think that is such a great question. And it's not the same as the previous question. Mm-mm, so the previous question not. was more like theoretical. And this mm-hmm. one's like very specific. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here are my spending habits. Like, how do you bring that up? I would love to know what you think about this. Okay. So the first thing is you're going to keep the focus on yourself. It, it really, she was right. It is, the, these are sensitive issues for some people. And for some, they're not sensitive at all. Let's talk about money. Let's get it out there. 
right? But for others, it feels very vulnerable. It feels, you know, maybe they were criticized for their spending in the past, or maybe they were told, they were taught, you just don't talk about it. It's uncouth. So the way to handle, handle any topic with your partner, really, that, that's tense or where there's a sensitive issue is to keep the focus on yourself. You can talk about what you've observed. Like I said, the checking account is getting low. You don't say you've been spending all this money. You can talk about your feelings, what you need. So if you've really come to a place in where your life where you realize that based on some things that have happened to you in the past, or um, maybe you're a financial advisor, that you need to be able to be transparent in your relationship about checking account balances, investments, debt. If that's something you truly need, then that's what you say. You say, I love you so much. And as we're uh, getting closer, I'm really realizing that we can go the distance here. I'm hoping for that. And, um, and I, I have this worry because I, there's something that's just really important to me and that I've always known I'm going to need in a relationship. And I have this worry that you might not be, that you might think I'm crazy or I'm weird um, or that I'm uptight. And I want you to know that I'm not trying to violate your privacy and I don't want to control you, but I've always known that because financial responsibility and planning is so important to me that I need to be with a partner who's willing to discuss very openly with me um, how they're doing financially. And I need to be able to share that with you as well. I'd like us to be able to talk about how much debt we have, I'd like us to be able to talk about how much we have in checking, how much we have in savings. And um, is that something you can do, right? So now mm. you're not saying you should be this way or you're mm. keeping things from me. You're saying, this is something that's important to me. I can't control you. Uh, you may feel very differently. And if your partner kind of recoils and says, I feel, you know, I, I don't know, privacy is really important to me. I don't want to be judged. Then you tend to that too. It's a conversation about how you're both feeling. And again, understanding precedes any problem solving here. So you get on the same page about that first, if you're on different pages, but chances are, if you present it in that way, and it's the same gentle startup formula that you're going to get a good result. Right. How do you feel about, I guess it doesn't matter this part of feel. I, I just, I think sometimes some of these questions are also asking like, do we do a joint account? Do we get mm -hmm. credit cards? that have the same number, but they're separate names. Mm -hmm. um, do we keep separate checking accounts? Like how should we divide our money? Mm -hmm. And I have found that this is such a personal decision. Yep. There's no one answer here. This, you have to have the discussion. You have to find out what your own values are first. And right. one of the most special things about a truly open and understanding relationship is that it can help you uncover your beliefs things you may not have even been aware of that are important to you. If you have a partner who can truly make you feel safe and cared about and ask you questions, who is curious about uh, what this means to you, you'll learn about yourself and how, that'll help you define what you want to do. There's no right way to do it. Not everybody needs to buy a home. Don't buy into any social pressures here. This is about what's right for you. Hmm. So maybe listing out your goals. Mm -hmm sharing and those why, goals and why. why yeah so key questions here are what are what is the value 
for the ethic, the core principle or the core belief behind that. So for you, it's not just about saving for your kid's education. It's that you, for you, providing for your children is about love, protection, caring, and education, whatever that means to you. So there's a deep meaning here. It's not just this superficial goal. And so find out what that deeper meaning is. Ask yourself, is there a story behind this that got me to this belief? What Mm -hmm. did I see growing up? How did that affect my view of the world, of finances, about myself, Mm -hmm. about others? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do I tend to be trusting of others? Do I tend to expect the worst from others? Am I more protective of my, my money because of things that happen? Or do I give freely because I grew up in a withholding situation? And to me, giving that money freely is an expression of love. So ask yourself the story behind it. Ask yourself, what is my ultimate fear scenario if this goal isn't met? Because a lot of financial goals may not even truly be about something meaningful to you. It might be more about fear. For instance, you know, I always wanted to buy a house, but if you ask yourself why you might uncover that because people told me I should, that I've always thought that was a true sign of success. Well, are you successful? Yeah. Well, listen, I personally, I never thought about buying a house until I moved to New Jersey. And now I'm like, oh, uh, buying a house would be cheaper than a, than having a mortgage would be cheaper than a rent. Uh, that makes sense, I suppose, you know? So yeah, Yeah. I totally get, I totally get what you're saying here. Um, you know, another hack that I have found is because this is really, and I know this is not important to everyone, but this is, this is a topic that's just so important to me. I have discovered even the article that I read about you on a few weeks ago, I immediately said to my husband, anytime I see an article about people asking financial questions, be it dear mm-hmm. Abby or the economist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I immediately said to my husband's like, let's talk about, what do you think about this? Let's talk about this. Like, that's so cool. Cause it gives me insight at all times of like, where do you, where do you see this? You know, mm-hmm. like I remember when I showed them like on the Venmo, like, Hey, this couple that we know, they split their money on diapers. <laughs> and he was just like, how about that? You know, yeah. like, cause that's yeah. never even crossed our, I think with us, we're, we call it like a team. We call ourselves team penguin. Mm-hmm. So we always thought like, okay, we have our team checking account. We have our team savings yeah. and that's where we're going to end your money that. out. You know? I love that. And, and we each have, I will tell you, I'll share with you this. This is how we do. I, I know I did a TikTok on this, but mm-hmm. we have our general checking, like our say our team penguin checking account, mm-hmm. team penguin savings account. We have our retirement accounts and then we have two sets of credit cards. The one credit card is the one that we both have with the same number on it, but has different names. So it's like from the same Mm -hmm. account. And that's for all expenses when it comes to the house, because we get points, it gets paid off in full every month. It's instead of using our checking debit card, we just use this card and, you know, we never look at the bill. We know what the budget's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. We don't look at who spent what. We just know that we have to stand for this number collectively each month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also each have our own separate credit cards for other expenses that we don't want tied into that general credit card. I usually use it for like gifts to him or him to me or like something extra like a splurge. We don't use a lot of it. Secrets. Like I think 
Yeah. Like I think my Good husband secrets. said he spent like $500 on his last year. And I was like, I never asked on what, like, I don't care, you know? Right. And, and the same for me, like maybe I spent a thousand dollars on that sec- that separate mm-hmm. credit card. I will say we never have a conversation unless it costs more than $150. Okay. And that conversation is not even a conversation. It's just a check and like, Hey, I'm going to buy this. Thoughtful. This is what it costs. And, yeah. and I think that's a key point. It's not that anybody's afraid of criticism. It's that you're proactively caring for your partner. You want to let them know you're thinking about them. And, mm-hmm. and you also alluded to that when you said, when you read an article like this, you immediately check in with your husband and you're just curious about what his point of view is. In the Gottman method, we call that love maps. You're mapping your partner's changing existence and identity as you go through life together. Mm-hmm. What do they think? What is their stance on this? What do they think about this? You're remaining open and curious. And the more you, it's sort of, it's the foundational level of what the Gottman's call the sound relationship house is how well, you know, what's, what's happening in your partner's world. It's the mm-hmm. core, it's a core component of friendship and it leads to intimacy. Well, that's, that makes me feel so good. <laughs> I love, I love talking to you, Dr. Kerr, and I feel like I talk to you forever. I am definitely going to have you on a future episode. So I'm excited for that. If people want to learn about you or, um, or your company, where can they find you? Easiest place to find us is our website, currypsychology.com. We're in Newport beach, California. We have a great practice. I love my crew. Those there is my team as well as my guy at home, Ty. He's my team too, but I got a lot of teammates and they're wonderful. I will leave the link in the episode notes. If you're interested in contacting Dr. Curry or working with Dr. Curry and her team, check out that link and sign up. Dr. Curry, thank you so much thank for joining you. me on Ask Thanks a Matchmaker. Thanks guys for listening. This was so much fun. Thanks, Maria. And thank you for listening. I also want to quickly give a shout out to a previous guest, Jared Freed. Yesterday, his amazing comedy special, Socially Distanced, dot, 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 of course, came out. It's on YouTube. If you check out Jared Freed on Instagram, I'm sure you'll find a link to his amazing, amazing comedy special. I I got a sneak preview a couple of weeks ago and I've been dying to tell everyone about it and I finally can. So check out our previous guest, Jared Freed, to uh, to see his comedy special, Socially Distanced, of course. Um, Again, I want to thank Dr. Curry for joining me on Ask a Matchmaker podcast. And again, I want to thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker each week. If you love what you heard and you have not already, you can rate, review, and of course, subscribe. This is such an amazing episode. I feel like so many people could benefit from it. So if you or your partner talking about this and you don't know how to bring it up or if you have a friend who's going through something like this send them this episode i definitely want people to learn more about financial compatibility but even more about dr curry who was just an incredible guest if you have a dating or relationship question you can visit askamatchmaker.com to submit your 60 second audio question you can also follow me on instagram at matchmaker maria for more dating and relationship tips until then be lovable And more importantly, be likable. See you next week.